You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball with MLB insider John Heyman and former major leaguer Tony Gwynn Jr. It is my pleasure to bring in my all-time favorite manager to cover. Sorry, Willie Randolph and Buck Showalter. But uh, this guy was it. A fantastic manager and incredible to cover. Always kept things interesting. Bobby Valentine got to the Subway Series, won the National League pennant with the Mets in 2000 with a team that, in my opinion, never should have gotten that far. Won the Japan Series. Now he's the athletic director at Sacred Heart University in Connecticut, and uh, just been a very successful guy and everything he's done, very charitable, and it is our pleasure to welcome in Bobby Valentine. Hi, how are you doing, Bobby? John, Tony Jr., always good to be with you guys. Sorry that I'm not Zooming properly, but uh, <laughs> it's good to be with you. <laughs> yeah, you're Zooming fine. We, we appreciate it. The first question we've got to ask you is, I know you know Steve Cohn. You obviously were the manager for the Mets for a long time. Uh, you are the winningest, one of the winningest managers in Mets history. Um, and uh, obviously, Steve Cohn was a limited partner at that time. He's about to take over the team within the next week or so. Bought the team from the Wilpons for $2.4 billion. So what can you tell us about Steve Cohn uh, that we don't already know? And are you in touch with him? And might he hire you to do something for the Mets? <laughs> well, one is I'm currently... Uh employed and not sure that uh, I'm looking for a job. Uh, two, I know Steve for about, um, well, you know what, to tell you the truth, in 1999, John, his wife, Alex, came to one of my charity events. She bid on me making dinner at their home for 20 people <laughs> and using my mom's lasagna recipe. Okay. And so that's where I met him. And, um, you know, since then, there's it's been a very social uh, relationship. Uh, I've talked to him a bit about the Mets situation over the years and other team situations that he had some interest in. Um, but I could, I could just tell you, um, he's in it to win it. So it, it's going to be fasten your seatbelt and enjoy the ride with Stevie Cohen. Bobby, since, since we're on the subject of the Mets, you know, and, and Steve Cohen taking over this organization, what do you see with this Mets team as far as potential? What, what, what are they missing? Because uh, they seem to have a lot of talent, uh, but they are very inconsistent. What do you see from this Mets organization? Well, you know, I, I Tony, think that they are very talented. Um, um, 
I think it's just the glue to put the parts together. I I think the parts are really pretty darn good. I know there's always question about the bullpen and the closer. And, uh, you know, who doesn't question the bullpen and the closer? And my gosh, was that the closer that just finished game six of the World Series for the world champion Los Angeles Dodgers? Answer, no. So... Uh, yeah, you, you know, I mean, their offense is is plenty good. And last year, you know, with Cespedes coming back and then not, that kind of took a little wind out of the sail of the of the psyche, I think, at the beginning of the season. But it gave the chance for Dom Smith to come and get a lot of at bats and let people understand that what they've seen is what they're getting. He's a pretty darn good baseball player who never would have gotten the opportunity without Cespedes leaving. So um, for, for my money, get solid behind the plate. Uh, make sure that there's a simpatico there between catcher and pitcher and catcher in dugout so that all of those systems that need to work together during the game of calling pitches and working at hitters weak spots um, are, are, are everyone's on the same page. And other than that, it's just making a few decisions on who should and who shouldn't play. I think there's plenty of talent. Yeah, I'm with you on Don Smith. He he was absolutely fantastic. You you mentioned with Steve Cohen that he's in it to win it, and uh, you also mentioned catcher-pitcher relationship. The Mets really do not have a starting catcher at this point. Uh, they didn't pick up Ramos's option. I, I wanted to ask you, do you think Steve Cohen is going to spend like the fans are hoping that he spends? He reportedly has $15 billion. I don't know. I haven't seen his books. I have no idea if that's true or not, but nobody's denied it. Um uh, do you think he's going to spend big? And if he did, would you go with Rio Mudo, the catcher, Bauer, the starting pitcher, perhaps Springer, also a Connecticut fellow like yourself uh, for center field? Where, 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 where would you look first? Well, I think Springer's the best uh, baseball player ever to come out of Connecticut. No kidding. Um, and, and that's including Jeff Bagwell, who played at the University of Hartford. Uh, you know, I, th- I think Springer's just spectacular. And uh, But I, I put him third on the list. Um, you know, uh, catching, um, you know, if every everything about uh, Riamuto is, is what it looks like, and I haven't delved into it enough. But if he is the guy and the player, I think you got to make a, a uh, run at him. Um, but I don't think Steve's going to have a model um, that is necessarily just the spend model. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if someone from the Tampa Bay front office shows up someday and says, hey, this is the way we did it without money. And and he'll figure out how to do it. And, and it is going to be, be a class championship organization so we'll we'll see how he does it i don't think there's there's just one way that's going to define him though bobby that segues into my next question perfectly you know obviously there was a lot of conversation around uh game six of that world series blake snell is rolling and uh they take him out early and that ends up uh coming back to haunt them Uh, answer me this because i think you're you're a perfect person to answer where is the fine line? Because obviously analytics have made our game so much more efficient for organizations. Uh, but from a spectating side, 
it leaves uh, it leaves a little more on the table. A lot of people don't enjoy the game that we that that they're watching. Where is the the medium between the two uh, of being able to use the analytics to benefit these organizations so that they're more efficient, but also putting a product on the field that is uh, watchable and attractive to to the viewer. Well, that's an amazing question, Tony. I, I um, wrestle with it all of the time. Um, you know, as in so many uh, sectors of the world and our community, um, there's a lot of divisiveness. And the divide between that old, I got a feel kind of manager to the new the numbers never lie kind of manager is a very strong divide in the game. And what the game needs to do is bring them, the two of them together. Maybe they're trying to do that with uh, Dusty and Tony. I'm, I'm not sure that what, what that's all about to tell you the truth, but um, um, th- they need to come together because, you know, when I was in the dugout, I could just tell you, I would sit there and I would do the calculations. I would watch the pitcher. I would figure out his velocity, if it's getting better or worse. I'd watch his curveball. Was he bouncing it or hanging it? I'd see what kind of arm speed he had on his changeup. And so all of those metrics today are readily uh, available to the manager. They're even on the scoreboard in some ballparks. in the new Texas stadium. So when you allow the analytics and the metrics to help uh, you see what you're looking for, it's got to be an advantage. Now, the only problem with that, that we, many people who have been around the game like yourself and John and myself, is that we have that other metric. Oh, does he want to beat his ass? Does this pitcher want this at bat? Does he want it more than the other guy? Does this hitter, has he now figured him out and coming back with vengeance? You know, that kind of non-analytical approach to the situation is, is a spectacular part of our game. And we do a very bad job of doing what you and your dad were so wonderful at doing, what he was and you are, and that is explaining that competition, that hitter-pitcher competition. And it's not always about the great breaking ball that wins the battle, but sometimes it's about what the guy has inside that wins the battle. Now, an analytical person doesn't want to hear that. Right. They don't. They don't. <laughs> they don't want the old gray hair guy sitting in the dugout saying, well, I'm sorry, Stevie, but, uh, you know, I really thought he had it in him. You know, he doesn't really want to hear that when he's looking at the analytics that's saying his spin rate is going down, the curvature on his curve is less than what it was, his uh, arm uh, angles are different on his different pitches because he's getting fatigued. That's what Stevie wants to hear. And so you're always, I think, going forward, see people error on the non-human side of making decisions. 
take, taking that analytics question to uh, specifics of the World Series, and I, I think you yeah. may differ with me on this one. I, I'm not sure, but uh, the big decision, of course, was, which is what Tony referenced, is the removal of Blake Snell after five and two-thirds innings. He'd allowed two hits, but the last batter um, had just uh, – Barnes had just lined a, a single into center. He had no walks. He had nine strikeouts, but – um, his stuff looked like it was going down a little bit. Um, to me, he's their ace. I'm looking at that game. He's a competitor. I know he'd never even finished six innings all year, even though he's their, their ace. So they, they do have sort of a script whether they want to admit to it or not. I, you know, I didn't like that move. A lot of people didn't like it. The Dodgers were doing cartwheels from everything you hear. Um, but, you know, he was losing stuff, and this is the way they do it. I, I don't know if I would have turned to Anderson, who had not really gotten a lot of outs. I mean, great in the regular season, but he seemed to be going on fumes himself. I don't know. How, how do you evaluate that at that time, and, and what do you think of that move now? I, I think you might like it a little better than, than I do, but uh, I'll let you answer. John, you hit it all right on the head. Um, I understood totally um, with – the, with the move of him coming out of the game, mainly because I I flew out there to be with Tommy Lasorda. Tommy Lasorda had his private doctor, his private plane. You know, we all were tested before we went into the suite to see him. And, and he was as safe as a person could be in a wonderful environment that he needed to be in. But along with Tommy was Eric Karos and Rick Honeycutt. And I played with Rick Cunnicutt and I sit on boards with Eric. So I'm really friendly with both of them. And in the third inning, we began the discussion because Honey had just been in the dugout the year before. He really understood how the dugout um, mentality works, dealing with the emotion as well as the metrics. And um, he said in the third inning, he said, you know, if he trends downward, they're going to start having good swings at him. If they have good swings at him, we're going to win this game with a home run. That's what he said from the Dodger perspective, looking at the metrics. Well, as he entered that last inning, everything started trending down. After pitch 63, I think it was, as we were up in the up in the booth, he said, Oh, if this if this trends like that for another 10 pitches, you're going to hear some loud sounds. Okay. <laughs> and with that comes this resounding sound of a line drive to center field. Oh, well, it was only a single to center field. I get it. But it was the first real swing that anybody had at a pit is up until that time, you know? So when when Cash jumped out of the dugout, Honey was there with a, with a little, you know, grin on his face saying, hey, I told you. And I kind of get got it in the moment. I just didn't understand what metrics, what statistics, what they possibly could have been using to bring Anderson into the game. That's all. Because okay? I didn't see his previous uh, uh, analytics in those previous six outings, but I saw the results and saw the at-bats that guys were having against them. And I didn't need numbers to know that he wasn't up to the tax. Right, right. And that, that was what was confusing to me, Bobby, was the analytics pointed to the fact that they're starting to take good swings. And by they, I mean the Dodgers. But the analytics didn't point to a different reliever in the bullpen. That was kind of uh, a, a little confusing. I mean, let me ask you this, Bobby, because 
you you've yeah. you're you're in a rare position that you've been able to manage you know 10 15 years ago and then you've managed recently uh there's there's no way coaches are preparing for a game the same way they used to do managers have less on their plate with the analytic department handling uh some of the the game script if you will yes much less on their plate and it's not only the uh, analytic side, but it's also the mental side. You know, I, I, I mean, I started managing Tony in uh, 1985. You know, I was a young guy and I was trying to bring all new ideas into the game. And one of them was to get, you know, that mental coach, which I had to pay for out of my pocket the first few years that I managed because there wasn't anything in the budget for someone other than me and the coaches to talk to guys when they had a problem outside or inside of baseball that I didn't need to know about. You know what I mean? I'm not going to get involved with that situation because that's personal, but this guy can handle it better than I. Well, now they have a, you know, an army of those people who can, you know, turn your frown upside down to who can make sure that your strength is exactly equal to uh, your workload, you know, and I mean, those are things that the manager used to be in charge of. The pitch count, the the in-between uh, bullpen sessions, the uh, ability to catch the ground ball or hit, or hit the curveball. Those were all right directly underneath the uh, manager's job description. He does none of that stuff anymore. There's, there's specialists for everything, including diet. Uh, how much time did I spend taking players out to dinner because I didn't want them eating trash and running around in some place where they're going to drink too much beer? So the young guy would be with me having a steak dinner somewhere. You know what I mean? Now that's not necessary. It, now there are teams that uh, uh, where the GM or somebody in the front office or an analytics department even makes out the bulk of the or all of the lineup card. Uh, you know, you managed, obviously, with Texas, with uh, uh, the Mets for the bulk of your career, one year with Boston and certainly in Japan, we were extremely successful. Um, did any anyone ever propose making out the lineup card or actually make out the lineup card for you? I'm sure you got suggestions from the front office. And uh, what do you think of, uh, you know, compare, you, you referenced Dusty and Tony uh, getting jobs. What, what do you think of that? Uh, any chance you'll you'll come back? You're a, a young whippersnapper uh, compared to them at only 70. <laughs> no, no John, I'm not coming back. Um, but I could tell you this. Um, you know, you, you mentioned um, about Tony and Dusty and uh, whether or not they're going to adapt. Was that the question? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. How, how are they? I mean, Dusty's already had another year back in and, uh, you know, he did fine. But uh, what do you think of the hires in general? I mean, I think it was kind of a personal hire for uh, Jerry. Uh, you know, he always regretted firing Tony, uh, but, you know, it seems like it's ruffled some feathers with the White Sox uh, people. And you wonder if you will relate to the uh, newer uh, or all of the players. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on it altogether? Uh, you know, he's 76. He's still a sharp guy. I've seen him at winter meetings, but, uh, you know, it's been a while and he's already in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, well, you know, once again, I think I think with Tony, with Dusty, uh, with this idea of connecting, uh, you know, I'm at a, in a university with a 
thousand uh, Division One athletes, and none of them uh, are younger than eighteen, and hardly any are over twenty-two. Uh, and it's a different world, you know. It's a different way that that they see things, and I think it will depend on you know those uh, disciples that Tony has and Dusty have at their disposal, who are um, who are delivering information, who are caring for the players, who are the representative of the team and of Tony and, and Dusty, and to make sure that there's a good rapport between that guy or gal who is uh, distributing the information, taking care of the physical well-being, whether it's nutrition or or uh, strength and conditioning or what might be it, and how, how the manager can connect to that person who is connecting more closely with the player and then kind of in a roundabout way connect with the player. It's um, it, it's a different world, believe me when I tell you. And uh, you know what great athletes do is adapt. And I think that uh, you know Dusty was a great athlete and Tony was a great manager. So I I think they'll be able to adapt. Did Did anyone ever make out that lineup card for you? I just wanted to. Oh, that was the question, John. You made out the lineup card. <laughs> <laughs> if there was ever anything that I was criticized for repeatedly and consistently as a manager from the time 85 to the time 2012 is that I used too many lineups. How the <laughs> hell are you using 120 lineups and, and trying to win a championship? Where's your regular lineup? Now, if you don't use over 100 lineups, you get fired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Someone does, huh? Hey, so, no one ever got a lineup you know i love talking about it what the heck my bike ride every day was almost totally consumed with the lineup and their bullpen and my bullpen and their lineup i mean that's all that i would do for whatever that hour was that was my reprieve early before a game where i sweat and i was in my own element that that that's where I was. I was dealing with lineups, mine and theirs, and and how it could work. Uh, now all that stuff is done by Watson, you know, and uh, he's pretty good at that. Yeah, yeah. No, no doubt about it. Bob, Bobby, I want to go back to New York because you're obviously still a, a favorite in, in New York from the time with the Mets. Uh, they say if you win in New York, you're a legend in the city. Now. An NL title is is pretty significant. Can you tell us what it's like to be a winning ball club in the city of New York? Uh, what the, what is that like to go to be in that city when when you're having some success? Yeah, Tony. You know, we had a run of about four years where we were uh, one of the you know good teams, and uh, you know, competing against the Braves, of course, was uh, a monumental task that we hardly ever accomplished, but. Uh, uh, and against the Yankees at the same time of, of their dynasty. But when when we got recognized as a good team, it was really cool in New York City. I mean, the coverage that you get, every little thing is a big thing. You get a game-winning hit, you know, against, uh, you know, Cleveland in Interleague in May, and, uh, you know, people are thinking about building a statue at, uh, for you. So it, it's a big deal, you know. Uh, and it's exciting and it's fun. And I could tell you, I, I have no 
no regrets. I played for the Mets for two years. I coached for them third base for four years. I managed for seven years. And I don't have any any regrets other than um, probably when I was a player, um, I, I think I second-guessed Joe Torrey, my manager, too often. <laughs> that's right. You, that's right. You played for <laughs> Joe Torrey. Very funny. Um, yeah. Forgot about that. Um, you were also yeah. now you have a good team who challenged the Braves at least, and I, the Yankees. That was right in their heyday. You got hired in '96. Obviously, that was their start of their semi, or I would say dynasty. Um, fair to say, um, but you I were, think it's fair. Yeah, yeah, I think it's fair. Uh, and you were fun. You were yeah. fun to cover. I was going to ask you about two things. One, everybody knows about basically the basic story. Uh, was the disguise. The other thing I was gonna that I recall that I think a lot of people don't know about is when you were had just gotten through the Subway series and your contract was up and you were ready to get a new contract and everything looked great for you. I think either your lawyer or your friend or something, uh, you were tech you were <laughs> probably not texting, you were emailing back and forth and talking about how great things were looking for you and the Mets were in trouble because of the negotiation the negotiation and I think somebody, whoever it was, your lawyer, accidentally sent the load of emails to Fred Wilpon's lawyer or Fred <laughs> Wilpon. And uh, tell us about that story, too. And the disguise story is fantastic. Oh, thank you. That was an incredible thing. my life, <laughs> You know what it was, Tony? It's kind of crazy. But, um, you know, I was managing this year, and the edict was you don't get a contract unless you get to the playoffs. You get to the playoffs, you get a contract. And then as the season went on, there started to be like, well, maybe we're only kidding. You have to win the playoffs <laughs> to get a new you know? and, and who knows if they, what they were kidding about and weren't, weren't kidding about. But after we got to the World Series, we had four days off bef- waiting for the Yankees to, in fact, clinch. So we're running around town having our practices. And I say to my agent, this is the time. The iron's hot. Let's see if we can brand something here. And we, um, you know, well, all year we were having communication, you know, about things that people said or do or the feeling or the press or whatever it might be. He was my agent. And Tony, he was in San Diego. Okay. Well, not, not you, Tony, you different what? Tony in San Diego. Exactly. This was a different Tony in San Diego, a wonderful person, a good friend of mine. I, I knew him since I was 19. And now he's, he was with me from the time I'm 19 to the time I, I'm whatever age, I guess 50. And this is going to be the contract we were always, all waiting for. So you can imagine some of the emails that went back and forth. Well, <laughs> I wanted to get the deal done before the World Series started. And uh, I told him to send the offer that we had talked about repeatedly to see if negotiations get started. We'll make it a quick negotiation, have it done, and no questions during the World Series. Well, three days into the practices before the World Series, Steve Phillips tells me he hasn't received anything from my agent. And I said, holy cow, that's odd. He told me he sent it three days ago. So I get on the phone to the agent. I said, you got to send it. He had a temporary secretary. He went in and said, hey, did you remember to send the files, the Valentine files to Wilpon? And she said, oh, that was on my list of things to do. And so she went to the to the cabinet and sent all of my files. And in those days, everyone had the, the common practice of 
making hard copies of emails. You know, you remember that, John, right? 20 years ago. I mean, you could press just the damn phone or the computer to keep your information. You had to have a hard copy. And those hard, hard copies were sent, all of them, to Fred Wilpon, who didn't negotiate the contract before World Series, but waited until after the World Series. I go out to his place in Long Island. I sit down for the negotiations. He looks at me. He looks at Steve. He says, hey, before we get down to the negotiations, and he pulled out this stack of papers, and he said, do you mind telling me who the little prick is? <laughs> and I looked at someone he had, and I got up, and I walked out of the cabana where we were scheduled to do this negotiation, got in my car, and drove home. It was it was one of the worst days of my life. Yeah. <laughs> who was who? Who was the little prick? <laughs> That's <laughs> well, but you got it done. And I don't think I was talking about Fred. Yeah, but you got it done, and uh, so that's the main thing. You got your contract at that point, but that that is some story. And and what about the disguise story? Is there some more backstory? That was the day I think you had a fight with Bobby Bonilla and a writer, and there was like a hundred things going on, if I recall. Oh, that was like one of the worst. That was that was a crazy day. Yeah, Bobby Bo was in the lineup. We were walking down the tunnel to get to the dugout before the national anthem. And he said, uh, I'm not playing third today. And I looked at him and I said, well, you're the only one capable of doing that. And he said, no, I'm not playing. And I said, well, when the starting pitcher comes into the dugout, because he's walking down from right field right now, tell him that you don't want to play and we're going to play without a third baseman. And with that, with that, we all jumped up to the top step of the dugout and uh, it was national anthem time. Lucky for me, it was Korean Day. Remember how they used to have the ethnic days? At yep, the yes, stadium? Yes. Well, it was Korean Day. And so the first anthem was the Korean National Anthem. Because Bobby was very hot and I was very hot. And I thought that I could actually somehow, some way, get in the first lick. And if I hit him right, he was going <laughs> down. Well... During the anthem, John Stearns was standing next to me, and I passed the notion to him. And I said, John, if I get in the right one, is he going to go down? And after a long thought, he looked at me and said, no chance. (laughs) The Korean anthem's over. Bobby jumped back into the dugout, ran up into the clubhouse. I didn't have to figure out whether I was going to be able to land something or not. And I had John run up up top and make out a new lineup. And I was late to home plate bringing it. But, yeah, that was a weird day, wasn't it, John? (laughs) Yeah, that was a really the, – the stars were not aligned that day. I got thrown out for asking the umpire if I could get thrown out for what I was thinking. <laughs> no, they told him what I was thinking. He threw me out of the game. Now, three of my coaches who were in the dugout had only been with my team for like three days because Steve had fired my coaches three days prior to that. <laughs> and I didn't know if they could uh, – I didn't know if they, they knew who was in the bullpen or not. So I got up into the dugout. I mean, into the clubhouse after getting thrown out. And Robin Ventura says, you better go back down there. They don't even know who's in the bullpen. <laughs> he, threw me hat, he threw me a pair of glasses. And I started to go into the training room to look in a mirror to see what I look like, pulling the hat down low and wearing these sunglasses for a night game. And uh, then I looked down and I saw the stickers that are on, uh, on the, the trainer's table. And I took one of the stickers that usually go underneath your eye to – 
keep out the glare and I put it on one side underneath my nose. I put it on the other side underneath my nose. I looked in the mirror, then I looked at Ventura and he said, they'll never know. (laughs) (laughs) Like an idiot, I decided to go back in and bring a little levity to our uh, to our bench we got wound up winning the game and john that was like three <laughs> days after the the press conference at yankee stadium right. when they fired my coaches and i told murray chas when he questioned me what our record would be before september 1st that we'd go 40 and 15 and then he said and what if you don't i said i'll quit and you know the 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 after story there is we went 40 and 15 yes, we did Fantastic. Fantastic. So we can all thank Robin Ventura for uh, egging you on. Thank you, Robin. That was one of the great moments in in sports history in my life. So thank you, Robin. It was great. It was fantastic. So we can all see why you were so great to cover. What a great storyteller. Before I let you go, it is election day. I mean, a lot of people will be hearing this after the election, but you know, you obviously uh, are a very smart guy with interests everywhere. Just wondering if you had any thoughts uh, on this election as we head into it. Everyone's saying it's the most consequential of our lifetime. So I, I don't know. I was going to ask you what you thought about this election. John, uh, I am as I am in many situations today very confused. I'm confused about COVID. I'm, I'm confused about uh leaders who uh, I can't trust anymore. I'm confused about this election and not only who might win it, but what the consequence is going to be uh, for, for us uh, with whomever wins. So no, I'm confused. I, I did vote this morning. Um, I'm not going to tell you who I voted for because I don't do that, but um, <laughs> it, it's, I can't wait until today's over. And I don't even know if I'll know anything when today's over, but yeah. at least, at least there will be some, finality to this nonsense and god. maybe we can get moving in a better direction god willing please i can't <laughs> this day can't end fast enough yeah let, let's hope it doesn't yes. take too long i i'm not i can't talk politics really but let, let's hope it doesn't take too long that's all i'll say about that but uh, bobby it's oh, been a- an, early, an early win would be terrific absolutely um he's here to digest my food <laughs> <laughs> understand. Bobby, it's been terrific. You're a fantastic guest. I knew you would be. Uh, thank you so much for coming on with uh, Tony and me on the Big Time Baseball, and uh, we loved having you and you're a guest anytime. Thanks a lot, Bobby. Thank you, Bobby. Thanks for thinking of me. Thanks for giving me the time. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution. That will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.